We all owe them, but very few of us know them. They are the men and women of our military and first responder communities. And these are their stories. American Warrior Radio is on the air. Welcome to American Warrior Radio. This is your host, Ben Bueller-Garcia. We're coming to you from the Four Patriots studio where they champion freedom and self-reliance. You know, brownout season is upon us. Check out their link for their powerful emergency solar generators. You might want to check that out, particularly coming up this summer. Whatever you choose to buy, don't forget you can get a 10% discount by using the code WARRIOR at checkout. I'm not usually a fan of birthdays. They remind me of, well, how lucky I am to have survived this long on the planet but also the fact that I'm on the downside of life's curve. But every July, I do get excited about one birthday. Our great nation is 247 years old. While I was lucky to be an American citizen by right of birth, I did not come to the United States until I was nine years old. My mother's side of the family traces their roots back to the Spanish colonial period. They were in the United States before there was a United States. My father's side of the family were all immigrants who came to America to escape the First World War. They were farmers and pastors and instilled the dual concepts of passionate work ethic and the concept that good leaders must first be moral leaders. I suppose my story is not much different from millions of Americans. So yeah, Independence Day is a pretty big deal for me. Joining me today are this special Independence Day show to share some discussion about what makes this day so unique and important is Jeff Usch. Jeff is a former championship swimmer that trains Navy SEALs and other military personnel in tactical swimming. He's also the senior faculty lead instructor at the Leadership and Freedom Center in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. And also, you're the founder of Heirs of the Republic. You can check that out, folks. It's a great website and some exceptional things that Jeff and his folks are doing. Jeff, welcome back to American Warrior Thank Radio. Thank you. Always a pleasure, sir. I, I wanted to, and I shared with you, you know, every time this time of year, like on Memorial Day, I always watch the video called Angel Flight by Rodney Foster to remind me of the sacrifices that people make. And you and I personally were just discussing how dangerous of a business it is even when people aren't shooting at you. And, you know, on Police Week, I, I listen to Dave Bray's music, rock and roll patriot, former Navy veteran. But on Fourth of July, I like to look up articles and inspiration about things we should be proud of. And I found a 2019 opinion piece by John Steele Gordon that was talking about American exceptionalism. And there are several bullet points in there. And I, I believe you had a chance to do your show prep and, and read the article I did. as well. There's things that in that article that I didn't realize. And you, you're a, a constitutional scholar, so you know more about this stuff than I'm just a poor immigrant. But in the transition from when Thomas Jefferson beat John Adams, which was would be the what the second and third presidents of our, our great republic. Correct. Yeah, that was the first time, according to this author, that there was a peaceful transition of power from a sitting executive or, or ruler, if you want to use that term, to the next guy, just based on the principles of this piece of paper, the Constitution. I, and I don't know, I mean, certainly in recent uh, history, you still don't see it that much. So in your opinion, Jeff, I mean, I use the word miraculous, but the fact that I believe at that point in human history, nobody had a written Constitution as a nation, but I mean, basically right. these political amateurs created this thing out of whole cloth and uh, it's lasted with very few changes for a very long time. Truly remarkable. I mean, it, it's almost as if they were raised up to do that very function that they had been placed here to be able to do something and I do think it's providential. I mean, mm -hmm. I do think it's inspired. I think these people were prepared. I think if you go back and read a lot of their letters or memoirs or writings or speeches 
that many of them didn't know why they were so driven. And this is before this happened. I mean, Jefferson didn't know why he was so driven at such a young age to study so hard. And neither did Madison or look at George Mason. Look at uh, Benjamin Franklin and all the things that they did. Look at George Washington and the ambition that he had. And a lot of these founding fathers that we know of them now, and we revere them, uh, were, were just going, hey, we've got to do something. And they did. You know, the, one of the, the guys that really fascinated me the most of, of that group was Thomas Paine. His writings, Common Sense, you know, keep in mind, we're talking the 1700s. It sold 150,000 copies in a matter of a few weeks Right back in those days. So he was clearly very influential in, in the, our revolution. But he had only gotten here, he had only immigrated from, from Great Britain, what, two years prior, 1774? Right. And what an influence he had. I mean, I really think it took his writing of the crisis in January of 1776 to really fertilize the ground to accelerate the process. And I think we were moving there anyway because the first shots had already mm -hmm. been fired, right, in April of 1775. So this wasn't even a year later that he wrote this saying, hey, uh, there's some things that are common sense. One of the things he wrote is, look, is an island always going to be governing a continent? I mean, he's like, come on, people, <laughs> it's not going to happen. From your research, Jeff, do you know at the outset of hostilities, was there right off the bat people were talking about forming a new nation versus just revolution, or did that take some time in that 12 months of sort of... No, it definitely took some okay. time. Yeah, no, at the very beginning, it was, you know, at least this is... Uh, even those, well, I can't say the most ardent, like Sam Adams and some of those, I think they had in the back of their mind to become independent. But I would, I would venture to say that most even patriots were like, we need to set this straight and correct the crown by violence if we need to, to stand up for our rights, and then everything's going to settle down. Like kids rebelling from their mom and dad and saying, you know, we want leeways. Instead of leaving the house, we'll stay in the house, but we want to expand our rights and privileges. So I don't think they were thinking of leaving the house at first. Mm. And then, you know, once Thomas Paine came out saying, look, we need to give everybody time. I mean, they were very smart about how they did it. John Adams talked about that, too. It's going to take time, and they were patient with the public. Interesting. Well, you know, one thing I found, Paine was also involved to a great extent in the French Revolution. Well, he was, and then it came back and bit him. And yeah. I don't know if you know the story that he was thrown in jail. Yeah. Set to be executed. And the only reason he wasn't executed is that the jailer forgot to shut his door, and it was open, and all those who were supposed to be executed had something marked on the door. And because his door was open and turned the wrong way, the executioner didn't get him. And Thomas Paine was so upset at George Washington for not intervening and getting him out of jail that they that he wrote some very terrible letters mm -hmm. about George Washington. Of course, they you know had a big split over that. And I, I think one of the saddest parts is, and maybe as a result of some of that, Jeff, apparently only six people attended his funeral when he found it. I mean, for someone who was so huge. And that, that's that's something else that, you and I, I mean, I wish we'd go back to teaching history and, and civics in school, but the amount of sacrifice that these founding fathers bore, not just the risk during the war, but their financial, you know, Absolutely. what they committed, their, yes. their blood and their property and everything, and it didn't turn out so well for a lot of them, to be honest For most you. of them, it did not turn out so well. I mean, they lost just about everything. I know Paul Harvey did that segment of, mm -hmm. you know, the rest of the story, what happened to all these uh people who signed the Declaration of Independence, and for the great majority of them, it was uh, desolation. 
and a lot of sacrifice. I, I saw somewhere in my, my preparation that there's a number of state delegates who refused to sign the declaration. Do you know how many and who and why? No, I don't. I know there were 56 signers in all, and I know that a majority of you know all the states signed it, and mm-hmm. it was pretty uniform. So that's something I'll have to look into. And, of course, okay. John Hancock was the president of the Senate. He signed first, and he got the sizing a little bit wrong, uh, as we all know. But um, I got a quiz for you. Um, yeah. Who actually – we know who wrote the Declaration of Independence. It was principally Jefferson with some, some input. Who actually put it to paper? Who actually put it on that oh, parchment? Oh, yes. Oh, you know this? I do. Okay. But I can't remember his name, but, yes, I've read it. Timothy Matlack. Yeah, there you who go. Who owned a Philadelphia okay. brewery and was apparently quite the... And was known for his penmanship. Yeah, yeah yes. which we don't think about nowadays, but it was probably a pretty big deal. Then he had the uh, the copies made after that, mm-hmm. the broadsides, and I think those were the, I don't know, Dunlip copies or something like that. Jeff, when we come back, I want to talk about American exceptionalism and, and see if you and I agree with the author of this piece. I think I'll, we'll agree with some things, but uh, a lot has changed since he published that article. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your host, Ben Bueller-Garcia. I'm joined by constitutional scholar Jeff Bush. We're doing having a special chat here on Independence Day, a 4th of July holiday. Don't forget, you can find this podcast and over 500 others at AmericanWarriorRadio.com. We're also on your favorite podcast platform, if that's iTunes, iHeart, Spotify, Pandora. Just Google American Warrior Radio and find us, and please, please share these important messages. We'll be right back. Welcome back to American Warrior Radio, ladies and gentlemen. This is your host, Ben Bueller-Garcia. We're doing a special Independence Day show. I'm joined in studio by Jeff Ush. Jeff is a uh, definitely a patriot. I put him in that category. He, in his day job, one of the things he does is he trains our special forces in, in specialized tactical swimming. Also the founder of the Heirs of the Republic. But, uh, what's that website, Jeff? Heirsofthereprepublic.com. Okay. And uh, our, one of our mantras is freedom is not a spectator sport. So we all need to get involved, and if surely that's what the founders believed. I tell you, having run two city council campaigns myself, I know that to be true. And by the way, folks, it's heirs of the republic, H-E-I-R-S, not E-R-R-O-R. Yes, so we could probably talk about some of that as well. Yes. I mentioned this 2019 piece by John Steele Gordon about what makes America exceptional. And one of the things I've, I, I never, I guess, thought about it, Jeff, but one of the things that he brings up is, we owe a lot to, I don't know if you call it fate, but also just basic luck to some extent. I mean, when you talk about our geography and just the the natural resources that we had here, the other thing I found really, having been born and raised in Mexico, I've always believed in my heart, Jeff, that you know such wonderful people, such great resources down there, and the only thing that's held them back forever has been their, their government or, or their system sure. of government. They're just a, a people that seems to have gotten used to being taken advantage of. And this author pointed something out that was really interesting to me, that because Great Britain had pretty much ignored the colonies for so long, we had already sort of developed our chops of building local governance and these systems to support the states or the colonies at that time. Contrasted to the way Spain did things, where they sent a governor over into each province and you know they ruled from the top down with an iron fist. So when Mexico finally achieved independence, 
they had no reference right. on how to create their own government. Well, they were still infants. Right. You know, right. again, I, I like to use the analogy of kids living in the parents' home. You know, the colonists had a chance to get raised. And they still, even though they were, you know, benign neglect, they still had Big Daddy to go back to if they needed. (laughs) You know, and they still had that umbrella of protection and connection and trade. Uh, Of course, you know, leaving the home, you don't have that anymore. And that was a big decision on their part. And I love his article. I recommend anybody to to read it. What I think is critical to probably add to that is John Adams said the real revolution in America did not begin with the first shots at Lexington and Concord. They began in the hearts and minds of the people the 15 years preceding that. If you look at 1760, before the end of the uh, French and Indian War, you know, we were willing as colonists to be subject to a king, to be under the thumb of parliament, to have our wars decided for us. Trade, we were restricted. We had appointed governors in many instances. Our clergy was appointed to us in many cases. Being able to use land was restricted. We had appointed bureaucrats. Now, you just go down the list, and this was, you know, what I call now the colonial mindset, that we were okay with all this, and we were okay with that because our priority of principles was not liberty first. It was safety, security, comfort, convenience, lifestyle. Uh, And we were still living in the home, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And then I think... Everybody says, when was the great birth? When was the American mindset born? And it was born in March of 1775 at a church on a hill in Richmond called St. John's Church when Patrick Henry gave his famous speech because this was the third time the Virginia delegation had met to decide. And this is only one month before the shots were fired at Lexington and Concord. And you have to remember, all the bigwigs were there. Right. You had Washington and Jefferson and the governor of Virginia and the House of Burgess. And basically they're saying, look, even if we do think they're right, we can't support them. We don't have the guns. We don't have the army. We don't have the money. We don't have the powder. We don't have the organization. And that is the way that convention was going until Patrick Henry got up and he went last and took all that. And, you know, it's just a great we need to study this speech There's one thing I hope everybody gets out of this is not only read the Declaration of Independence, but read that speech because he persuaded almost everybody in that room to change their priority of principles or hierarchy of values. And he did it in a way that was not offensive, very persuasive, hit on everything. He said, I can't be silent on this. I don't want to offend anybody. But is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? I mean, this is the end, right? Forbid it, almighty God. I know not what course others may take. But as for me, give me liberty or give me death. So he used rational thought at the beginning, like hope, hope, but there is no hope. You can hope for peace, but it's not here. Let's talk reality, people. And are we willing to give up what we consider our birthright? And they changed. And so I think that's where the American mindset was born. And I think it's the first thing that is so exceptional about America. There's a lot of things like, yes, we're, you know, we're on a continent with two great oceans and we're away from the mother country and we have all these things. But it's the mindset of the people and our priorities. So you're saying that he was America's first influencer? No, I'm not saying that. <laughs> okay, I'm not saying that. Just something for but, the younger people out there. But. No, but because there was still more before him. I mean, John Adams said the father of the revolution was James Otis. 
because if you go back and read some of his writings, he wrote this long paper. And if anybody wants to get involved in, uh, you know, was America racist and what were we born on, if you look at his paper in 1764, he talks about everybody should be free, both black and white. You know, we all have these rights. And so they were talking about it. So he was an influencer. We have a lot of influencers. But I think at that moment of Patrick Henry's talk, we hit critical mass. In other words, the majority of our leaders were willing to say, yes, he made sense. Liberty is worth sacrificing for. It's worth more than my life even. Because if we continue in this direction, we're going to be nothing but slaves. And that, so that was the tipping point. That was yeah. the tipping point. And that message spread throughout the colony. Yeah, I want to come back to your statement about mindset because you and I both interact quite a bit with lots of military members and particularly special forces people. And so often I hear that, that it's it's the mindset. We just had a, a fellow on the show who, uh, EOD technician, lost both his eyes and then his oh, hearing boy. in a blast. And he really, it's, he says it's the mindset that got him through that. You know, if I'm going to be a blind man, I'm going to be the best damn blind man I can oh, be. Oh, what an inspiration. And I still think you see that around the world where... Other countries, other people see Americans as kind of yahoos or, or cowboys. You know, kind of maybe some of the, the way some of us look at Texas or Florida now. But it was because of that mindset. It's about that that liberty and freedom mindset that set us apart, particularly at that point in history. I, I think so, but it, and it's nothing to be ashamed of because Agreed. some people roll their eyes and say, "Oh, that's so passe." And the, no, it's not. This is one of the reasons I think we've got to be careful not to go back to the colonial mindset. And I think recent events is a good stress test. When we come back, I want to talk more about that, uh, if you don't mind, because I really sure. appreciate your perspective. I, I hearken back to one of the most surprising interviews I ever did uh, with, with, with an actor, Matthew Marsden, who's a, hmm. a, originally a British citizen. And he told me, he said, Ben, America, this is it. America right. is the last bastion of freedom on the planet. And to have some a British citizen telling me that on the radio in a British accent just really threw me for a loop and I you can't you can't disagree with that and eventually he would come to move his family to the United States and they'd all get naturalized and you know, he's a real strong patriot down there and, and I think he's in Texas now. But just a really surprising thing and I I appreciate those kinds of words and I think people listening to this program need to hear more of it. So I'd I'd welcome your opinion about where we are when we come back. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your host, Ben Bueller-Garcia. We're talking with constitutional scholar Jeff Uch about Independence Day. Please share these messages. People need to hear these words, particularly in these challenging times. We'll be right back. Welcome back to American Warrior Radio, ladies and gentlemen. This is your host, Ben Bueller-Garcia. We're broadcasting to you for the Four Patriot Studios, where they champion freedom and self-reliance and give your family the tools to do so. Visit fourpatriots.com. That's the numeral fourpatriots.com. And don't forget to use the discount code WARRIOR for a 10% discount off your first purchase. We're talking with Jeff Uch. Jeff, I like to consider a close friend. He's definitely a patriot and constitutional scholar and just a great self-taught historian, right? I mean, it is. All it's all self-taught. I do have mentors, though, uh, that are just wonderful, and uh, I, I'm grateful for them. Larry Reed, that used to be with the uh, Foundation for Economic Education, 
is one of them, and his okay. writings are just wonderful, but okay. there's others throughout. And by the way, I'll put this in the show notes, some of the references you give us, because uh, you're giving us a lot of homework here, Jeff. One of the things that I found intriguing, and I never had this perspective before, but I'm kind of on you to help me. I read an, an author who claimed that Jefferson's reference to all men are created equal in, in the preamble at that time in that context was not necessarily talking about individual freedoms, but he was referencing the states because at that time the states and still are basically were independent governments of their own free will. Do you think there's any validity to that? No. Now, this is where Lincoln got it wrong. Okay, because if you read the Declaration of Independence, Lincoln's argument was, hey, we were one nation at 1776, and there's at least three or four times in the Declaration of Independence that it says states, Mm -hmm. plural, and they understood they were each sovereign countries. They had a a uniform vision and goal, but they were each uniform uh, or sovereign individual nations at the time that decided to band together. In the Articles of Confederation that came along, you know, years after that, about five years, they governed us from 77, but we didn't sign off them until like 1781, 82. But the thing I get into is, is some people say all men are created equal, that Jefferson only meant white, male, Protestants. <laughs> right. Yeah. And we know he didn't mean that. And people ask, well, how come? Because this is part of the revisionist history that goes on that says America wasn't founded on good principles. But we know he didn't. People ask, okay, how do we know? Because he said so. If you read in his notes on the state of Virginia and his letters to others who talked to him about this, he said, since we know God is no respecter of persons, that since we've discovered this truth, I fear for our nation that we are not able to live up to those truths in a quick enough manner, lest his wrath come against us. In effect, I'm paraphrasing, but in a number of letters he talked about this. So they did understand it. And for those who say, no, Jeff, you didn't, because I've read other things, this is what created the Civil War. In the late 1820s or early 1830s, you had revisionist historians like Yancey and Calhoun start to write that Jefferson didn't mean that because they were trying to justify slavery. Even in 1776, after that happened, all 13 states at 1776, slavery was illegal. Within the next 20 years, 12 of those 13 states had tried to make it illegal, all except for Georgia, I believe. Seven of them were successful, with Pennsylvania being the first, the Quaker state. And if you read, say, Massachusetts' 1780 Constitution, they tried to pass a constitution in 1778, two years after the Declaration of Independence, and it was turned down because it tried to justify slavery still. And they're like, we have learned more. And so based on the truths revealed in the Declaration of Independence, the 1780 Constitution in Massachusetts said, we know all men are created equal. And up until that time, no slave could sue based on that. But after that Constitution was passed, slaves started to sue, say, hey, we're equal too. And guess Mm -hmm. what started to happen? There were lawsuits brought and they won and it got overturned. So that's just some interesting stuff, I think. That makes me think of something else in John Steele Gordon's article. He talked about the the original authors, the founding fathers, the authors of the Constitution, recognized that we as men, as human, are faulty vessels. And they put elements in that would control that, the idea of three separate but co-equal branches of government. Right. Let me correct you there. That's the one thing in the whole article I say, throw it out. Co-equal should never be used. 
and this is where I catch even constitutional so-called scholars. There is nowhere. Now, Jefferson wrote like co-equal branches. Mm -hmm. But if you read the entire Madison's notes or Yates notes on the Constitution, they never talked about needing to make these branches co-equal. So we need to be careful. It's like equity and equality. They intentionally made Article 1 and the legislative branch more powerful than all of them, intentionally. And that's why they split it into a lower and upper house. And that's why Article 1 is the longest. And they thought, and anybody doesn't believe me, just go and read Federalist Number 82, where Hamilton talks about that the judicial is supposed to be the weakest. And he goes and lays out the case for that. And They're not supposed what is the to be, case for that? Well, the weakest is that they don't have the power of the purse or the authority of the army. That what they are basically is, you know, it's kind of like uh, Andrew Jackson said, you know, when they made some of the things that he did unconstitutional. It's like, well, you know, are they going to raise an army? What are they going to do? But we've seen how that's changed over time. We've seen the legislative branch abdicate a lot of their power. We saw, for instance, like Alexander Stevens after the Civil War used the legislative branch to cram down and say, hey, we're going to take control. And they did. Mm -hmm. It was one example of how they did it. But the legislative branch in recent time has certainly abdicated a lot of its authority to the bureaucrats, the executive branch or the judicial branch. So that's probably the one part I'd pick them out on. It never was supposed to be co-equal, and that's part of the genius. They wanted to give most of the power closer to the people, and that, that's why they did what they did. And they, they did reserve some otherwise. We can get into that. But. Well, Jeff, I think that this might be something you and I see eye to eye on, and this is not a political show. I might make some, well, maybe let you slide a little bit because it's <laughs> Independence Day. But I feel in, in general that we, the people, have forfeited our engagement to a great extent. And that causes me concern when I look at the voting numbers and just how few people who have been born, frankly, in this generation to that precious right. And they can't find the time one day out of the year to exercise it. Sure. And I just, when I was on the campaign trail and I had someone come up and beef at me about something, I'd ask them, did you vote? And if they said no, then it's almost like, well, then I don't have time for you. Sure, you know? but, I, but and it even goes deeper. I, it is true, the vote, but it's also holding our elected officials accountable, but also knowing your place within the system. Mm -hmm. And I'll give you an example. And again, I don't want to get political, but this is an American. We are celebrating the July 4th, the birth of this nation that was founded on we hold liberty above everything else. And if we're going to err, err on the side of liberty. And we fought a revolutionary war supposedly over no taxation without representation that we want to represent. But they weren't just talking about taxation. They were talking about any ex uh, top-down, forced measure, coercive measure on the people without representation. They want to be represented. And there's recent examples of powers being taken from the people and given to governors or executives mm -hmm. that we didn't demand that legislatures be convened. I'm not saying government doesn't have the power to tax or do coercive things, but it's with representation. And we seem to have forgotten that. We've got to break away again, uh, Jeff, unfortunately. But real quick, can you give me your definition of the distinction between liberty and freedom? Well, <laughs> I can give you a definition of liberty that I have taken 2,000 hours to, to distinguish, but I'm, I would have to think about the, okay. the difference between that to put it succinctly. But liberty I do have, and, and I'll give you that real quick. A people, a people are free. Here it is. A people are free to the extent 
their government legitimately, faithfully operates within the sphere of legitimate powers delegated to it by its citizens. By the people. And that yes. we always come back okay, to that. Okay, so it takes yeah. me a while, but that, and that took me 2,000 hours to do. And I'm not saying it's right, but I have presented that a lot. That's why I think it's so important for us to get engaged. And uh, I'm actually starting a campaign. I'd like to see more members of our military run for public office. That mindset we come back to again of, of mission above self. I think we could really use that in our country right now from school boards to Senate. All, all the way up. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your host, Ben Bueller Garcia. We're talking Independence Day with constitutional scholar Jeff Ush. We'll be right back. Welcome back to American Warrior Radio, ladies and gentlemen. We're doing Independence Fourth of July special with one of my favorite people in the world. I consider him a good friend. He's definitely a patriot and supports the men and women of our military and first responder communities. Uh, Jeff Uch, uh, real quick, you were mentioning on the on the break, Jeff, something that that I guess kind of surprised me a little bit, but uh, I'm glad to hear it. Tell us about this special grant you've got to to work with the members of our, our law enforcement community. Yes, absolutely. So I've taught law enforcement around the country, policing with a purpose, um, at a time when our local law enforcement were getting beat up, and I think they mm -hmm. still are. It's hard to retain people. And um, and so I can go anywhere in the country and teach classes anywhere from one day to a week. And uh, I really, you know, look, changing perspective changes everything. Just think about the, the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. You know, what changed in George Bailey's uh, persona to get him to be from suicidal to just thinking that he's got the greatest blessings in the world. And part of uh, policing with a purpose is really understanding how important policing is and why it's so different uh, here in the United States as compared with anywhere else in the world. And that local law enforcement, they are the keystone of our republic. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's critical to do that. So any local law enforcement agency even federal law enforcement agency or military uh, talking constitution, I do have a grant to do that. Well, we've got listeners all across the country, Jeff. How do they reach out to you when they hear this message and, and want to get engaged with yeah, you? Yeah, just email me at jeff at freedomexpoaz.com. That's easy. So freedomexpoaz for Arizona.com. I want to come back to this article, the 2019 piece by John Steele Gordon, because it's pretty obvious to me that you have some disagreement. Well, you would like to augment. His, I just his, clarify. Yeah, Look, uh, I don't hang people out for saying co-equal, <laughs> but I just disagree. And I think I've got the founder's words to show it. I, a couple of things that I really like that he said. One is that, that, that we grew, our nation grew out not from a common heritage, you know, racial or, racial or, or language right. lines like other nations, but from a common allegiance to a set of political principles. And I, I just so I love that distinction, absolutely. But the other thing, really, if you look at history, and in my day job, I deal a lot with in economics and, and markets. The the idea of free markets 
and and capitalism. You know, some people nowadays would like to kind of poo-poo that, but that's been huge over our history. Some, we've got something like, what, 4% of the population of the world and 42% of the Nobel Prizes. Right. I, I mean, mean, you know, the what was unleashed because of the Declaration of Independence throughout the world, and Jefferson said that should be our greatest export, our ideals, our mm. vision, the liberty that we show – uh, is unbelievable. I mean, you look at any chart on what happened to the wealth of nations since 1776. You you read Frederick Douglass's uh, talk, 1852, July 4th speech. He actually gave it July 5th. And for those who say America's a bad place, all you need to do is read that his speech, saying, look, we haven't lived up to our ideals yet, but you can't keep these ideals bottled up. Because they're truth, and they're going to spread to all nations. And as soon as people hear them, they're not going to be happy until they live them. That's something that I also really, I don't know if it came out in this article, but thinking about it, Jeff, is really those ideals that are enshrined in our mindset and our documents are not just for U.S. citizens. They're for every living, breathing soul around the world. And when you see the sacrifices that our military has made on behalf of other nations... And it just it's striking, and and again in his article he references the fact we were the only major power involved in World War One and World War Two, after we came out victorious, did not take advantage of that by by you know grabbing up a bunch right. of, a bunch of land somewhere. That's right. the American way of doing things. Perspective, yeah, right. And this is very important, and it's important to know because right now our recruiting for the military is down. And, you know, one of the reasons it's down is because just like uh, Calhoun and Yancey were writing false narratives in the 1830s about all men are created equal wasn't true. You've got a lot of false narratives uh, right around uh, going around about how America was started in bad principles. And part of the reason I teach military and local law enforcement is pers- when we change perspectives and understand, you know, what happened you know, a lot of people don't know that Wilberforce, you know, that gets all the credit um, for, you know, uh, ending the slave trade in in the United Kingdom and, th- and then enforced it throughout the world. Well, look, his mentors were also British, but their mentors came from America. Mm-hmm. A lot of them did. That Anthony Benizé, this is another person that people can look up from France, came over, was a Quaker, and started writing anti-slavery literature in the 1750s, 1760s, that started, and at that point, even the Quakers had slaves. And so they eventually listened to him, and he was able to influence the Quaker class that this is not good. And that that literature and things went over to England and kind of helped each other. So when you have the Paul Harvey, the, the whole story... It gives you goose pimples to understand what we accomplished over here. And so exceptional, yes. You know, we started out with changing our hierarchy of values, our priority of principles. So that's one. And when you think of any team, what makes them great? You know, if you look at the Pittsburgh Steelers, you know, they've got three things. And this is the thing that makes our country great. And this is one of the things I was hoping to get out today. So if you go to join the Pittsburgh Steelers, the first thing their goal is is to win the Super Bowl. It's never less than that. So they have a vision, and that's what our Declaration of Independence is. It's not just the vision, but it's the why. It's we want to become independent states, and this is why we're doing it. And that is our goal. And so you look at that as the vision and the why. 
they also have their priority of principles that when you join them, it doesn't matter if you're married or have kids or whatever. Look, while you're in the NFL, they, they come first. Look, if there's a dance, you know, a kid's dance or something, you still got to be a practice. You know, there's a hierarchy of values. And and the, the third thing they have is structure. You know, it's just not willy-nilly. You know, if you have a problem, you do whatever you want. No, there's structure to it. And those are the three things any great team had. And it's why uh, James Madison said, no Constitution, no United States of America. Even with the vision and the ideals and values and even with the priority of principles, if you don't have a structure to contain it, there's no team. And so we got all that, BBG, at the beginning. We had the priority set. We had our vision and the why. And then we got the structure. And that's what made it so great at the beginning, and it is exceptional. And what's so interesting is, at the beginning, if you didn't buy into that, you were gone because the Tories left. <laughs> they went to right. Canada or back home yeah. or were wiped out, you know? And so we did have a united front. And that's why our first uh, motto of the United States was E Pluribus Unum. Okay, today people say, hey, I thought there's strength and diversity. Well, people don't understand what they're saying when they say that. E pluribus unum, it's like with the, the Steelers analogy, e pluribus unum is we all have the same vision, the same priorities, and agree to the same structure. And the strength and diversity comes in positions. You can't all be quarterback. We're not all going to be the linebackers and running back. But it has nothing to do with diversity of vision, priorities, and structure. And so when people say this, they don't know what the heck they're talking about. And they need to be corrected. So the United States was strong, and e pluribus unum still should be a motto. It's like, okay, no, the United States should be this or this. No, we have the greatest nation on earth with the greatest vision. I'll give another assignment to the listeners. If you want to see the greatest speech ever given on the Declaration of Independence, it's by Calvin Coolidge on the sesquicentennial of the, of the Declaration in 1926. And he clarifies it. And back then, everybody still believed, not everybody, but a supermajority of people still believed this, these things. Mm-hmm. And it was revolutionary, BBG. We're right. running out of time. We are, yeah, I could yeah. go on for I, hours. I, gosh, I get that sense okay. about you, Jeff. But I uh, appreciate your time with us today. We've got just about a minute left. What, what other things, quick bullet points, do, do people need to think about and, and ponder on this, our 247th birthday? Well, read the second paragraph of the Declaration that all men are created equal. First time in the history of the world that a government had espoused that. England, the freest nation on earth at the time, did not believe that. Mm-hmm. They had a king. They had, you know, they had a system. And so we do live in an extraordinary nation, and we need to uphold these principles and not be embarrassed to do it and educate yourself so you had the sword of truth on your side. And one thing you can do, folks, to help educate others is to share this podcast. Uh, visit AmericanWarriorRadio.com. We've got other 500 other shows in there. In fact, you know, maybe just Google Independence Day. I've got some some past interviews with folks like Gary Sinise, and you know, he talks about his time on the on the DMZ and just how different it was looking at North Korea versus the freedoms and the liberties of folks on the South Korean uh, side. And and a lot of Americans and others shed blood to maintain that freedom. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been your host, Ben Bueller-Garcia. Jeff, thank you so much for your time. I wish you a happy holiday. An honor holiday. to be here. Thank you, sir. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, as always, all policies and procedures are to remain in place. Take care.
listening to American Warrior Radio. Archived episodes may be found at AmericanWarriorRadio.com or your favorite podcast platform.